May only the truth be spoken here and only the truth be received. We pray this in Jesus' name. So this fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians includes two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and they are both instructive. One names things that make the world the toxic mess it is. The other names things that make the world as it was intended to be, holy. Now, of these fruit that we've heard read, I've been asked to talk about gentleness. I think it's possibly the most undervalued of the lot. At least, I know I have often behaved as if it was such. Sure, gentleness is nice, but a necessity. Our broader society, while perhaps not exactly denigrating gentleness, seems to have little regard for its value. In a world of trade negotiations, tightening borders, growing militarization, what good is gentleness? It might make you a more agreeable sort of person, but common knowledge says it won't get you far in life. For many people today, I think the word gentleness conjures up images of the sort of person who gets at best overlooked and at worst walked on. In at least many sectors of society, gentleness is considered more of a liability than an asset. So here's a question for us to consider. In a world that admires tough, has the church itself been tricked into seeing gentleness as an expendable fruit? Of course, none of us would say that. But what about our behavior? When we look across the pages of church history, gentleness seems to be in rather short supply. Where there is conflict over serious issues in the church, gentleness is often equated by either side as giving ground, being lukewarm, or with weakness. We may list gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit, but how often have you heard the church pray to be made more gentle? How often have you asked God to make you this way? Perhaps the church itself has come to equate gentleness with weakness. In reality, of course, the two couldn't be more different. Weakness, whether arising from failing muscles or failing fortitude, refers to an involuntary lack of power. Gentleness, on the other hand, refers to a voluntary restraint of power. The greatest examples of gentleness occur in the presence of great power. After all, a one-inch goldfish is not described as gentle, but a 20-foot crocodile might be. When jaws that can crush the skull of a grown wildebeest pick up tiny hatchlings and transport them to the safety of the water, we marvel at how gentle she is. 
It is in the presence of great strength that gentleness is clearly revealed. This is how the scriptures also speak of the gentleness of God. The God who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. The God who created the stars and calls them by name. Isaiah 41 says, because he is great in strength and mighty in power, not one is missing. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. And yet in this same reading, Isaiah describes God as one who will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. It is only in grasping God's great strength and power that God's gentleness will most clearly be seen or learned. Gentleness as the voluntary restraint of power for the protection and nurture of another is a key attribute of God's character. And so it is one of the key attributes that we as God's people are to seek and practice. It is not an option based on personality or situation. It is a requirement. And lest I haven't convinced you so far, let's look at Paul's letters. Paul's letter to the Philippians writes, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. To the church in Colossae, he writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To Timothy, he writes, But you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue it. Gentleness is mentioned over and over again as something Christians are to earnestly seek and practice, not a nicety, not an option, a fruit that is to be found in all of us through the Spirit at work in us, maturing us as the people of God. How is gentleness actually displayed in our lives? Again, we look to the scriptures and particularly the life of our Lord Jesus. There we see that gentleness does not mean avoiding either truth-telling, confrontation, or indeed at times anger. Jesus confronted sin when he saw it, but he did so in a way that people had a way to make things right. He invited himself to tea with Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax collector, 
And he rejoiced when Zacchaeus changed his ways. He saved the life of a woman caught in adultery, but he told her when with her one-on-one -on -one, to go and sin no more. He patiently corrected the thick-headed disciples when they got things completely backwards. He taught and fed, forgave and freed the crowds, even when they followed him around for all the wrong reasons. Jesus did not fail to speak the truth, but in each case he did so in such a way that people could admit their wrongs and indeed were invited to admit their wrongs, to make amends, and then to take steps in following him. In the same way for us, gentleness doesn't mean we don't confront bad or negligent behavior in our kids, our friends, our colleagues, or even the church. But it does mean we do it in such a way that we don't simply label people, tear them down, destroy them, or leave them without a way forward. Gentleness means you live as a person of grace. And I think, most importantly, aware of God's grace for you. Speaking the truth, but always hoping for, working for, God's way to be found. Gentleness is, in fact, I think, not an expendable fruit, but a foundational one. For it helps us follow the teachings of Jesus. For instance, how apart from gentleness can you actually love your enemy? Thinking, speaking, and acting in such a way that healing and reconciliation can take place. Living that kind of life takes strength. And this, of course, is where the Spirit of God comes in. None of us can manufacture this fruit. This fruit God grows in us by his strength. But there are at least three things we are called to do in the process. First, we are to take a truthful inventory of our lives. This, after all, is a a normative Christian discipline. Which of these fruit that are so pleasing to God and so in need of in this unholy mess of a world are missing or weakest in our own lives? Secondly, we are to bring that honestly to God and ask him to begin to change us, to show us the ways in which we have not been and are not people of gentleness the ways in which we have not been gentle with our fellow students, for instance, or maybe as academics with the colleagues in the academy, even. What about with our parishioners? And finally, we are to actually be open to receive this fruit from God. To receive something, you usually have to let go of something else. Gentleness often requires us to let go of having to be right, of having to win, of having to retain control. 
In this beautiful couple of verses from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. It should be most instructive for us. He also promised that when we walk alongside of him, in fact strapped to his yoke, he will lead us into a deeper knowledge of God's ways and we will find rest for our souls. I think rest is another byproduct of a gentle heart. That's a standing offer to all of us, no matter our personality, where we've been in life, what has shaped us and made us perhaps into angry, ungentle people. It is because of his gentleness. Jesus delights to grow this often undervalued fruit in all of us. May we allow him to grow gentleness in us so that it may be evident in our college, in the academy, in our marriages, our families, our friendships, our workplace, our churches, and our neighborhoods. Amen.